0: I'm going to describe a culture to you and I want you to see if you recognize this culture I'm describing. It's a culture that used to have an ancient elite, but that's largely gone. Now the elite of this culture is not aristocratic families. It's, it's basically, to put it simply, the rich. People who can make money and people who, who have abilities that look impressive. It's glamorous people are now the elite of this culture. And that makes it a culture where social climbing is possible. And so many people are trying to socially climb. It's it's a culture of self-promotion. Self-promotion is maybe the big feature of the culture. And that self-promotion affects so many areas. I'll give you a few. One is sexual life. If it's all about me, me, promoting me, well, sexual life also becomes about what do I want. It's a very immoral culture. Uh, it affects it in this way. There is, there is an overvaluing of what looks impressive in this culture. Show instead of humble service. This self-promotion also leads to polarisation. It's a culture with different groups that, that strongly disagree, and not only strongly disagree, they despise each other, And that polarisation may possibly be added to by this. It's it's a very ethnically diverse culture, a cosmopolitan culture, because international trade is a big feature of the culture. So many different nationalities have moved in, and so it's a a rather divided culture. Self-promotion also means this culture puts the emphasis on what I experience now. Instead of the future, it's not so optimistic about the future, not so bothered about the future. Now, this last one, I'm not sure quite how this one fits in with the rest. But this is a culture that has a strange attitude towards the body. On the one hand, it worships the body, especially youthfully athletic ones. Uh, Have you got a youthfully athletic body? Anyway, it, it worships that sort of body. But at the same time, it believes who we are can be different from our body. The real you could be different from your body. Okay, I've described there to you a culture. Did you recognize it? What culture was I describing? Well, you might think... 21st century UK, because it did sound like the 21st century UK. But I was actually describing Corinth in the time of the New Testament. Corinth, if you don't know, was a city in Greece, and the letter we read called Corinthians was written to a church in Corinth. And Corinth then was in many ways like the UK now. I know it wouldn't have looked like it. The people dressed differently. They didn't have the Internet, let alone electricity. And and, But in, in the fundamental things, their attitudes are so similar to ours today. And that culture was really shaping the church in Corinth. Yes, the church was full of Christians and they had new hearts. But their way of thinking was still often like their culture. And we, from Monday to Saturday, are being preached at by our culture. And it—it it is so hard not to have our thinking shaped by the sorts of things we've just heard about our culture. And so, 1 Corinthians is really relevant to us. So would you turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we're going to start a new series. It's a big book, so I don't know how long it will take. Or whether we'll do it in one go, I uh, haven't got that all planned. But we're going to make a start today at 1 Corinthians, because it is very relevant to us. Now, 1 Corinthians is full of difficult, controversial topics, and I hope I don't, in a few weeks' time, regret having uh, <laughs> getting confronted by them. And the topics look unconnected. You've got court cases and marriage and the Lord's Supper, and spiritual gifts, and male-female relationships, and the resurrection, all sorts, they look quite unconnected. But behind them was a common problem. The church was too much like the culture around it. And behind that was another problem. The church was more impressed by what the culture valued than by the cross of Jesus. Oh yes, they believed in the cross of Jesus. Yes, of course. And they were converted through the cross of Jesus. But they didn't glory in the cross of Jesus. It was more a method that got them conversion than something they gloried in now. Yes, it gave them conversion, they saw that, but they didn't see it shows us the way to serve and live now. It's not just for the start, it's for the whole of the Christian life. Everything should be cross-shaped. And so as we go through Corinthians, I hope we'll find Paul does give specific answers to their controversies. It's not just the same Gospel ABC every evening. But he's always bringing them back to this. See how everything should be cross-shaped. See that the cross is not just for conversion, it's for life. And that's the message I want to get across this evening from chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Now, that was that's all been introduction so far, a longer introduction than normal, but I hope it's helped you to see the theme that's going to be behind the whole series, because it's behind the whole letter. And what I want to get across now is the cross is the pattern not just for conversion, but for all of life. So let's start with the cross shape. If everything is to be cross-shaped, shape, cross cross-shaped, what shape is a cross? And the answer is foolish and weak. That's the shape of the cross, foolish and weak. Now, it's pretty standard for Christians to say everything should be cross-shaped, but but have we faced up to what that shape is? Foolish and weak. Let's think about that a little. First of all, foolish. Verse 18, the key verse here. In fact, possibly the key verse for the whole letter, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolish. Now, I'm going to quote the famous atheist Richard Dawkins. You've probably heard of Richard Dawkins, clever scientist, famous atheist. And he said this. If we weren't so familiar with the Christian idea of the cross, we'd dismiss it as barking mad. Not very scientific phrase. That's what he said. It's barking mad, he said. If you weren't so familiar with it, you'd see it's barking mad. Richard Dawkins said, I'm quoting him, if God wanted to forgive our sins, why not just forgive them without having himself tortured and executed? Now, Richard Dawkins is very outspoken, but he's just putting bluntly what many people think. A man suffering horribly so I can be forgiven. Why? That's rather stupid. What a hangover for primitive ideas about a God who needs to be fed sacrifices and appeased. It's foolish to many people and it's weak. Weak. Verse 25 is another key verse. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. What a remarkable verse that Paul dares to talk about God's foolishness and God's weakness. It's ending a paragraph all about the cross. When it says God's foolishness, it means the cross. (coughs) because people think it's foolish. And when it says God's weakness, it means the cross, because it looks so weak. Archaeologists discovered some graffiti in Rome from the second century AD. Graffiti is the most ancient art form. Have you thought of that? And the graffiti was a picture of a man bowing down to a cross. And on the cross was a person with the head of a donkey. And underneath... The graffiti said, Alex worships his God. It seems there was a man in Rome called Alex who was a Christian. And his friends thought, what a weak fool he worships. What does he worship? A man on a cross. What a donkey. You couldn't get weaker than a man on a cross. And fancy Alex thinking that's his God. It's weak. To a society that worships comfort and glamour and power, which Rome and Corinth and the UK do, did and do. The cross is the is the opposite of what should be valued. What's the cross shape? It's foolish and weak. Well, at least the world thinks it is, but it's actually wise and powerful. So let's move on and consider the cross. What is the cross shape? It's wise and powerful. It's wise. Now, have you thought of this? Any fool can pull things apart. It's really easy, isn't it, to pull things apart. I mean to criticise things and to show them up and pull them apart. It takes wisdom to put things together. And the cross is so wonderful for putting things together. That takes wisdom. What does it put together? Justice and love. Let's go back to uh, Richard Dawkins' comments. God can do what he likes, surely. If there is a God, he can do what he likes. That's actually a foolish and dangerous comment. Because if those with power can just do what they want, whoa, that is dangerous. What a foolish idea. Thank God we have a God like this. Justice must be satisfied. How is that to be put together with love? When the world's full of sinners, whom justice condemns, oh, the cross puts the two together, satisfies justice, and enables God's love to be poured out. The cross puts together the self-giving and the glory of God. At the cross, he gives himself for others. We have a self-giving God. But he's got an idolater. If he's going to give himself for others, does that mean he's putting others first? That would be idolatry. That would be a self-contradictory God. I thought he was to be devoted to his glory. Oh, but at the cross, he genuinely gives himself. But he also gets glory, displays his glory. Self-giving and glory combined. Here's another one. I'm not going to go through them all. We'd be here for more than all evening. Here's another one. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Let's have a story. Les Miserables, do you know it? A big book and a musical and the story of Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean steals the silver cutlery of a priest. And the police catch him. You bring him back to the priest. We've caught the thief who stole your cutlery. He's claiming that you gave it to him. And the priest says, Oh, well done policeman. But he's actually, it's actually true. I did give it to him. I did give it to him. But dear friend Valjean, you forgot to take the candlesticks. Here, have the silver candlesticks also. Now that's grace. He forgives him for his crime and he gives on top of that what he doesn't deserve. There's grace. But it's not truth, is it? It's grace based on a lie. He lied to the policeman and said, I gave it to him. How can grace be combined with truth? Or at the cross? Where the truth that we are sinners who deserve nothing except judgment is not swept aside, but faced up to. But it's combined with grace. We have poured out on us what we don't deserve. And it's not a legal fiction. Yeah, let's just find someone else to die in their place because it's, it's Jesus who we are one with. He can take our punishment and it count for us because we're one with him like a husband and wife are one. I'll just give you one more. The cross, it's wise because it brings things together. It takes wisdom to put things together, not pull them apart. Security and humility. Most religions, they, They'll either make you proud or you'll always be insecure because you'll wonder, am I good enough? No, I'm not good enough. What does the cross do? It gives us security. Because we can say, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. But as I say that, I'm reminded it took the cross. For my sin to be dealt with. It took all that suffering. And it took the Son of God to do that for me. Oh, there's no room for pride here. I get from this security and humility. Ah, There's loads more, but let's move on to powerful. The cross, what's the shape of it? Wise and powerful. Powerful. Children, you might think of a martial arts, black belt person who his enemy... Punches towards him and he takes his enemy's power and turns it back on him. So Jesus took Satan's fiercest attack ever and turned it back on him. Satan hit Christ with all his might. And it was Jesus who won and Satan defeated at the moment of his fiercest attack. It wasn't just Satan who attacked Jesus. It It was the law of God. The law of God came down on Jesus with its, with its most heavy verdict, guilty, guilty, guilty of all the sins of all God's people. But Jesus turned it back on the law. The law lost and Jesus won, and the law's power over God's people has been finished. There was another attacker at the cross, death itself. Jesus allowed death to take its 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 to grip its icy hold on him. Death attacked him and death looked like it won, but it didn't. Death lost because Jesus defeated it. And its power over God's people is finished. Now, there's so much more. We we could spend We could spend the rest of this year on the wisdom and the power of the cross. But it's here in 1 Corinthians for a purpose. And so I want to move on to think about the purpose. So we've had the shape, cross shape. Now, secondly, we have cross shaped methods, cross shaped methods. The Corinthians needed to appreciate this shape. God had chosen to work in this cross shaped way that looked weak and foolish, but they loved the showy. They loved things that were showy. So uh, I've been mainly basing this on verse 18. Don't forget the context. Verse 18 follows verses 10 to 17 about divisions in the church. It was a very divided church. And... This is partly, at least partly, because they liked the showy. So they said things like verse 12. Verse 12, I follow Paul. Another says, no, I follow Apollos. Another says, no, I follow Cephas. Another, I'm super spiritual. I follow Christ. They were going after whichever leader they thought looked best. Later in the letter, we'll discover the reasons why some didn't follow Paul was he didn't look impressive, especially as a speaker. They said he writes impressive letters, but when he turns up as a speaker, he's this short little man with an eye problem, and he doesn't sound any good. Because they liked what was showy. Uh, We find when we get to chapter 14, they were obsessed with the gift of tongues, because it was showy. And other gifts that did more good, but didn't look good, nah, they didn't have time for them. They needed to learn God's way of working isn't usually showy. It isn't the way that impresses their or our culture. So verse 20 to 25 comes next. And you could summarize verse 20 to 25 like this. Christianity started in a way that looked foolish and weak. And it continues in a way that looks foolish and weak. It continues by simply telling people about Jesus crucified. And that looks really foolish and weak. The content preaching the cross and the method preaching the cross. You see that? The content and the method, they both look foolish and weak. But it's God's way of working. And the Corinthians needed to learn that and be less taken up with things that look impressive. We need to appreciate God's pattern. We need to appreciate God's pattern. I read an article in a Christian newspaper, very good Christian newspaper, by the way. I might as well tell you, it was Evangelicals Now, which I highly recommend. If you don't read it, it's well worth reading, Evangelicals Now. But I read this article in it about an organisation. An organisation that was set up for understanding our atheist culture. And one of the leaders of the organisation said... Here's a quote. If with the help of the churches whose members will be trained, we can win the arguments, then the retreat of the faith will be halted. What do you think of that? We get good arguments and we train people in good arguments. The retreat of the faith in the West will be halted. What do you think? Well, we need training and sometimes we need arguments. And I'm all for us working at being better at both of them. But to think it will halt the retreat of the faith, that's like going to the beach. Children, do you go to the beach? I'm sure you do. With your bucket and spade, do you ever make a little wall of sand? Let's say you manage to get a wall of sand a foot high across the front of the beach. Are you going to stop the tide coming in? Your little wall of sand, there it is. It's going to stop the tide coming in, is it? That's what it's like, us thinking we'll halt the retreat of the faith by our cleverness, our training, our arguments. We need to recognize verse 21. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. cleverness can do a lot of good. Thank God for clever people. But it doesn't make God known. It's the preaching of the cross that does. Human cleverness can do a lot of good. Don't despise it. But it can't mend sin. The preaching of the cross does that. So thank God for the different gifts people have. Thank God for people who can reason brilliantly and who have a quick wit and an eloquent tongue. That's great. That's helpful. But don't let comparisons with them, if you're not one of them, make you feel useless. There's a really old English saying, comparisons are odious. I think that Shakespeare misquoted it as comparisons are odorous. That was a joke by Shakespeare. Comparisons are odious is a is a is a quote well worth remembering. Comparisons are odious. Don't let comparisons with those people make you feel useless. Can you tell people Jesus died for sinners? Can God use You in your weak method. Yes, he can. He uses cross-shaped methods. Ones that look weak and foolish. Here's the third section. It's the last section. Cross-shaped people. We've seen everything started in a cross-shaped way with Jesus. And it continues through cross-shaped methods. But it also continues with cross-shaped people. The Corinthians needed to... Appreciate God's pattern. He chose to work through a cross-shaped man. Jesus, who looked like a weak fool. But the Corinthians, they thought they were a cut above that. Yeah. And that's why Paul is clever. I'm not, I'm not against clever people, by the way. Paul is clever. Did you notice in verse 2? He's, he's always just dripping in his message in this clever way. In verse 2, he says to them, You're great people, Corinthians. You're sanctified. You're called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Because the Corinthians thought they were cut above the others, you see. The Jerusalem church is a bit backwards. Those Galatian Christians in their villages, what a bunch of redneck country bumpkins. We're the Corinthians, sophisticated. They thought, no, Paul says, Their Lord and ours. We're together. We're one. Uh, This is, again, why they were getting divided. Verse 12, again, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Why? Why were they like that? Chapter 4, verse 6 gives the answer. Chapter 4, verse 6. Now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us. The meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written, then you will not take pride in one man over another. They were proud. We're the best group. Look, we follow Apollos. He's really impressive. No, we're the best group. We follow Paul. He's an apostle. That's great. Pride in who's the best, who looks the best. There's there's a remarkable verse for this in chapter four, verse 10. Paul's talking, when he says here we, he's talking about the apostles. When he says you, he's talking about the Corinthians. Chapter 4, verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are despised, we are dishonoured. You see, they thought they were a cut above the others. We're not weak and foolish people, we're the sophisticated Corinthians. Paul's saying to them, but we follow a weak fool. Are you willing to follow a weak fool? And God still chooses weak fools and uses weak fools. Verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world. He's meaning foolish people, actually. To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. He's meaning weak people. To shame the strong. The Corinthians needed to appreciate how God works. And we need to appreciate God's pattern. Us here now in this building, we need to. I'll give you a a made up example. Birch Tree Drive Church is on the smart side of town. It's got plenty of money. It's mainly made of university educated people. Those people are, they're organised, they're reliable. They're professionals. Their approach to church and to evangelism is more sophisticated than most churches, uh, particularly more sophisticated than Substation Street Gospel Hall. At Substation Street Gospel Hall, uh, no one's got a university degree. It's a rather run-down looking building, rather poor looking people. They're a bit simple in their approach. You get the picture of the two churches? Now, it is not bad to be Birch Tree Drive Church, but it has a big danger. What's the big danger? It's obvious. Feeling superior. Feeling superior to other Christians. Now, I called it Birch Tree Drive Church. You know what I could have called it, don't you? Yes, I can see from the look on your faces that you know what I could have called it. Hollywell Church, couldn't I? Because my description was pretty close to Holywell Church. It is not bad to be Holywell Church. This isn't to beat us up and feel guilty and uh, let's smash some windows so we look a bit poorer. It's, no, it's not bad to be Hollywell Church, but it has a big danger. Oh yes, it does have a big danger. Feeling superior, feeling a cut above others. What a danger, what a danger. Feeling superior to other Christians. That is incompatible with following Jesus. It's incompatible with following the weak fool. I'm not blaspheming. He isn't really a weak fool. But he looks a weak fool. If you feel above God's people, if you find reasons to look down on other Christians, Well, if you think about it, feeling above God's people and looking down on them puts you outside of them. And outside of God's people is a very bad place to be. So watch out for that tendency. Now, I hope you also see the encouragement in this. Do you see some encouragement? I hope so. If you feel foolish, read verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. If you feel weak, read verse 27. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If you feel despised, are there people who despise you? Maybe in your workplace, in your school, in your university, or maybe even in your family. People despise you, you simple, primitive Christian. Well, read verse 28. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things. If you feel like a nobody... Anyone here who thinks, I've had people actually here say this to me. You know, if I cleared off, nobody would notice that I was gone. People wouldn't even notice I'd gone. Nobody. Well, read verse 28. And the things that are not, the nobodies, to nullify the things that are. If you're trusting the Lord Jesus, he was chosen by you. He chose you. Not to show that you are superior. No, because God loves to choose the nobodies, the weak, the despised, the false. So there we are. If you're starting to get proud, remember what sort of people God chooses. Not to show you are superior, but to show his ways are superior to the world. Chosen by God. Think of that. Now that's a great subject, but I'm not going to go into it tonight because tonight is not about the details of chapter 1. I've missed loads out. Maybe we'll come back to it next week. As I say, I haven't worked out what's next quite. Maybe we'll come back to chapter one and its details next week. But for this evening, the take home message is not the details. The take home message is simply this. Cross shaped and culture shaped are opposites, especially in our culture that promotes self-promotion. You know, I, I take it as obvious that sinners have always been me, me, me. But we have a culture that says, that's good. Don't be ashamed of it. Celebrate it. Me first. In such a culture, cross-shaped and culture-shaped are opposites. And appreciating the cross-shape is the key to resisting being culture-shaped. The cross isn't just for conversion. The cross isn't just for believing in. I hope you do believe in it, but it's not just for believing. The cross is the shape for our lives. It's wise and it's powerful. So be confident in the cross. Be confident in the cross pattern. Glory in the cross. I wonder, have you had your vaccinations? This is not a change of subject, and I'm not getting into the vaccine wars. I'm not going there. I mean this vaccination. Glory in the cross. That's something, don't just have a jab of that in your arm, have a dose of it in your heart and get your booster and another booster and keep getting boosters of that one because glorying in the cross is our vaccination to guard us against being shaped by our culture. Let's encourage each other to do that by singing a song. That is a prayer that the cross would be what we glory in.